0: This program contains strong language. As my mother always told me, I love all of my children. Just some of them I love more than others. And the same holds true on this podcast. So here are some listeners that I love just a little bit more than others. Why? Well, because they're Patreon members. And they help make this show possible. So thank you to Dylan Chen in Dallas, Texas. Kevin Rooney. Lisa McComb in Austin, Texas, and Rick Huling. Hope to see you all on our next group call. And if you want to be a participant, well, become a Patreon member today. Now, on to the show.
1: Absolutely. Everything you said is spot on, including the part that I am not a genius. <laughs> I'm like, maybe I should have called him not a genius. <laughs> I am like. not. Remember, I love the fire service. I love those guys. So those guys listening, you know, turn your headset off for a few minutes. Money, 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 money. I was living paycheck to paycheck. I had no money left in the bank. I had gone almost a year of being unemployed and I had nothing left. I sat down with the board members that I had at that time and had a very difficult conversation with them. And that was. This journey that you're on to build a business as an entrepreneur is full of ups and downs and twists and turns. And sometimes you're going right over that edge and about to accelerate down the hill, the funnest part. And the next thing you know, you're upside down and you're wondering how in the world did I get here? It's a roller coaster. For me, the ride is 100% than worth every bit of that sweat. And how are you? You asked how I was. How are you doing?
0: Good. Can't complain. I've lost a lot of my sponsors, so that's not good. But the good thing is it's made me actually get active. I really didn't have a Facebook group before the pandemic, so now I've got interaction with my audience, which is pretty cool. I've always wanted to grow a membership. I think I always had to wait. It's not like you can just start a podcast off and then I think day one start off something. I think people got to trust you over time. So it's finally made me do that instead of getting in the route of just always worrying about sponsors for a podcast. So overall, you know, life's what you make it. So if you want to be positive, you can be positive or you can be negative. Things are going to be negative. So I always try to take the positive route. Are we ready for your interview?
1: Let's do it, man. Absolutely. I've been jacked about this uh, since our last conversation. So I'm, I'm glad we finally have the opportunity to catch up.
0: Yeah. So if you're ready, if you can tell us your name, your age and your location, and then tell us a little bit about your company and then kind of reel it back to how you get started.
1: My name is Seth Bacon. I'm 48 years old. I live in Gilbert, Arizona, which is a suburb of Phoenix. And I'm founder and CEO of Trinity Air Medical. We started this organization officially in 2013. And what's Trinity Air Medical? Trinity Air Medical today is a healthcare transportation logistics organization. It's a fancy way of saying we take care of all the ground and air and commercial flight services, private flight services for organ transplant teams, for organ movements, for a number of our customers across the country. So it is a 24-7, 365 business, and everything that has to do with organ transportation and coordination of teams and organ movement comes through our facility. You said you're 47?
0: 48. 48. All right. You look pretty young from here on your LinkedIn profile. (laughs) (laughs) Good. (laughs) Yeah. I guess it's a good thing once you get to that age. I think I'm finally at the age where I'm like, okay, I need to stop trying to look older and now I need to try to look younger. So hopefully I'll be looking as good as you when I'm 48.
1: It's crazy how that works, right? I'm with you. All during my teens and twenties, I always looked so young. I was trying to do what I could to make myself seem more established, especially in a professional setting or career setting. And now I've reached that point of, okay, how do I get rid of these wrinkles?
0: (laughs) Yeah. For sure. Well, luckily we can do some art touch up on your artwork whenever we publish this episode. So don't worry. We always de-wrinkle all my guests and make them look a little bit younger. So you'll be looking in your teens by the time we're done. Please do.
1: Look forward to seeing that picture. Should be entertaining.
0: Yeah. I guess I was just going to say, thanks for being part of our Facebook group. We could just go, if other people are listening. And I just want people to know that if they're on the fence of joining, it's free to join the Facebook group, but that you like put up some questions as far as people trying to give you feedback and stuff. So I just wanted to point that out. and At least thank you here while we're doing the episode for doing that and trying to connect with the audience.
1: Oh, for sure. No, thanks are necessary. I was just trying to do a little bit of research on my own with regards to the type of listeners that are listening in on the podcast. And just ask them directly, you know, what kind of content do they feel is most valuable for them? Otherwise, the time that you and I spend together isn't impactful unless it really reaches the people who are intently listening. So I felt like it was important to ask the listeners first, hey, what kind of messages do you take to heart and can you really feed from the most? So it was a great opportunity to kind of see who's in there. And like you mentioned, it's free to join the Facebook page and the character of the people that are in the room is entertaining. And everyone, I'm not paying Seth, by the way, so don't worry.
0: <laughs> and one thing, maybe when your episode goes live, I'll make sure that we post up in there so people, if they want to ask you follow-up questions, that's again, one other thing I want to do to try to get people connected more with the community and with their guests. So if that's cool with you.
1: 100%. And I look forward to being on a group call in the near future. And that's part of the community buildup that you're establishing is people have the opportunity to engage with some of your guests. Not everyone is going to want to engage on the level and that's okay. but for me, I've been through a lot of adversity, so I have the opportunity to hopefully try to give something back. I appreciate that. So yeah, let's
0: dive in there. Before we do, again, Trinity Air Medical. I mean, if people don't remember, it seems like, yeah, you're flying around organs and whatnot all around the country, or is it even around the world? Just enlighten us a little bit more about business and how you got in it.
1: Sure. Oregon Transportation Logistics for us today is just the U.S. All 50 states within the U.S. It works under an organization called UNOS, and UNOS is just directly over organ allocation and sharing for the United States. And so that's where our reach goes today. But it's not how we started. Trinity Air Medical actually started as an idea in 2011. I was working as a critical care flight paramedic. And long story short, we were bringing this patient back from Texas back to Arizona. She was a college student. Her mom and dad were with her. She had been involved in a traffic accident months prior and they were trying to get her home back to Arizona from Texas and the injuries from the accident themselves had already healed but what she had not healed yet from was or will never heal from is the traumatic brain injury and so she's not able to really take care of herself very well certainly not fly or travel by herself. So that's why mom and dad went out there. And back then in 2011, the only method that they knew to get patients from A to B, especially long distances, was a air ambulance, a private jet air ambulance. And I was a critical care flight paramedic aboard one of those air ambulances. So we flew out to Texas to pick her up, transfer care services to us, and then was ringing her back. Literally at 30,000 feet, I had that aha moment where I'm looking at this patient who is on oxygen because that's our protocol. She's lying down because that's our protocol. But mom and dad are in the back of this jet in a small Lear 35 jet, which sounds luxurious, but trust me, it's not. It's sitting in a small tube and they're exhausted. And the stress on their face was powerful. And as a parent myself, I could completely relate to the situation. And I also knew through a strange set of circumstances how much they had paid for that trip. And I nudged the nurse that was sitting next to me and I said, take a look around. And of course, she starts freaking out like, what's going on? You know, is she okay? And I said, no, 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 she's fine. That's kind of my point. She doesn't need all this. She doesn't need you and I babysitting her. She doesn't need two pilots flying us around. And she certainly doesn't need the $30,000 bill that accompanied this, that her mom and dad, they were teachers. They were school teachers. That's a lot of money for anybody, especially for school teachers. And there's got to be a better way. I think we can figure it out. And so that day after we finished that patient transfer, I went back to the station and started brainstorming some ideas and came up with the idea. And actually it wasn't a new idea. The idea had been around for a while, but commercial medical escort. So in 2011, that was the idea for Trinity Air Medical was to be a commercial medical escort organization, transporting patients from A to B, any two points around the world. In fact, the longer the distance, the more money we could essentially save the family. But instead of an ambulance and a private jet and an ambulance to get from A to B, now we're going to use maybe a wheelchair van, a nurse or paramedic aboard a commercial flight, and then that same wheelchair van to get them to where they need to go at a fraction of the cost. And that's how we got started. That was the idea.
0: So for instance, that thirty K flight, that's how much you were saying it cost basically to get her across country or wherever she was going. That when you first came up with this idea it was about thirty thousand? Yes, back
1: in twenty eleven when this particular patient transport took place, air ambulances were a predominant way to travel across the country. In fact, they still are, but they're expensive. And a lot of times health plans don't cover those fees in those types of situations. For instance, this patient, she was in a neurological facility in Texas and the parents wanted to get her to a neurological facility back in Arizona because Arizona was home to friends and family, but a health plan doesn't view it that way. A health plan views it as she's in an appropriate facility in Texas. There's no reason to move her. The fact that they wanted to move her from Texas to Arizona was a family request, and so therefore, it's out of pocket. And those costs can be significant, especially when you start talking about international repatriation. It can get very expensive very quickly. Yeah. Now with your service, you just said what you
0: kind of do, but how much would that cost maybe today versus maybe like a $30,000 bill like they had to pay?
1: We no longer perform patient medical service or patient transport medical services, ironically. That's part of the twists and turns of our organizations. We no longer perform those services. We did for about four years. And our price points when we were doing that were roughly five to $10,000 based on where we needed to go. So that's how we came out of the gate with performing commercial medical escort services. But over time, we had to evolve. We had to listen to our customers. And that's what got us to our point today. I guess, why would you make the transition? So the idea, that particular story happened in 2011. It took roughly a year and a half, probably almost two years before we actually went live as a business ourselves. Just going through all of the preliminary processes of working with Department of Justice, with Department of Health Services, was establishing yourself as a business like every other business needs to do. It took a while. And I knew nothing about how to start my own business in the private sector. Remember, my career prior to that was working public safety. I was a career firefighter. This was a big transition, a big change. I had a lot to learn. So it took a while. But in February of 2013 was when we did our first patient transport in February 2013. Fast forward into 2015, we had been doing marginal as an organization. And by marginal, I mean our gross revenues were about $125,000 a year. It was enough to keep the lights on, but just barely. It was really still very much a struggle to keep the business going. It was hard to gain traction. We were really going after the health plans and spent a lot of time and energy and effort and money trying to really market that service to the health plans. But we felt like we were getting the right listener, but we could never get activation. It was tough. So in 2015, I sat down with the board members that I had at that time and had a very difficult conversation with them. And that was this. We are entering year three of our business. And this is the year that we have to figure out if we have a business or we have a hobby. And none of us need another hobby. So we have to do everything we can to look under every stone, look under every rock, try to find every opportunity we can to try to grow this business. And that was a conversation we had as difficult as it was in February of 2015.
0: And I imagine they had to agree if basically the year before you'd only made 125000 in revenue?
1: Yes. Yeah. Two years in a row. So year one, I was pretty excited. We hit the six figure mark. I remember vividly, I was actually with two of the board members. We had had kind of a, just a regular check-in meeting and I had just secured the next patient transport flight that was going to put us over the $100,000 mark. And I was super excited about it. I'm like, guys, this trip puts us over $100,000. <laughs> this is going to be great. Like year one, we're over a hundred thousand. Like, yeah, high fives. And immediately, without skipping a beat, one of them turned to me and said, let's add a zero. Okay. (laughs) So the celebration was short-lived, but the point was well taken that we want to get to seven figures. And so when year two came around, same number, it was flat. It was 125,000 again, and continuous years at 125 or thereabouts, even within that range, just wasn't going to be enough. It was going to be a lifestyle business, and that was what we were creating. And it was a lot of work a lot of work just to maintain that current revenue that I don't think it would have been a good lifestyle business either.
0: Yeah, because again, you're moving those patients and whatnot, like you were saying, so. High stress. Yeah, before we get more into your business, Do you want to reel back even further? Like, I guess you were saying you're a fireman before. I just want to take it slowly because this is interesting, like how a firefighter, I'm sure there's other people listening to try to relate. It's like, how was this guy able to start this business? You told us how you came up with the idea, which was great, but I'm just wondering how you got the money and how you got everything set up, or even if you want to take it
1: back further than that. So you tell me where you want to start. Sure. In my early 20s, I decided that I wanted a career in the fire service. I was passionate about it. It was everything that I wanted to do bar none. And I think you see a lot of that, especially in young men. They want a career in criminal justice or police department or the fire service or the military. Or podcasting. Yes. Podcasting. (laughs) (laughs) Ironically, a very growing industry. True. Yeah. There's a calling there. And particularly for the fire service, I think everyone understands that you're not entering a career in the fire service to be wealthy you're entering career in the fire service to be of service. You're entering that career to try to save lives, to put out fire, to do something that is cool, you think, and to work with a bunch of people that are awesome people and you're looking for stability. And it's a good paycheck in most places, so it's good money, And all of that provides stability and consistency and safety and adventure that myself as an early 20-year-old, I wanted every bit of it. And I soaked it up and I looked for every opportunity that I could. And so finally, in 1996.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, 96 is when you started this in your early 20s
1: being a paramedic? Okay, cool. Yeah, I started pursuing the career when I was 20. And I moved to Arizona when I was 20 from Southern California, from Orange County, to continue my education and to pursue a career in the fire service. In Arizona, where I was born. So, a little bit of just kind of returning to where I was born. And then from there, did you just think for the rest of your life, you're going to be a firefighter? I did. I had zero ambition to do anything else. I was completely in love with my profession and my career. I took every opportunity that the department gave me. So, within a year or two, I was going to paramedic school. Within a year or two after that, I was an officer within the firefighters union, voted on by my peers. So, that was a big honor. I was starting to receive rewards for my public service, awards from the department for significant calls, and then at the five-year mark, and was promoted shortly thereafter. Huge honor, huge responsibility. I was 29 years old and one of the youngest captains at that point in the fire department as well. Big accomplishment. I was proud, but a lot of learning lessons along the way too. I basically grew up in the fire service, coming, getting in at 24 getting my first supervisory job at 29. And I remember very vividly, I had worked for a captain that I really enjoyed working for when I was a firefighter. He was consistent, he was stable, he was always by the book, he followed the rules, but he was still a lot of fun. As much as that sounds bland, he was still a lot of fun, he was a great beater. And he was very consistent. And I was emotional. I was in my twenties. I was not consistent (laughs) and nor was I great at making good decisions all the time. So it was good for me to be around an individual like that. And then when I got promoted to captain, I remember running into him a few months later and he pulled me off to the side and how are things going? I go, man, the tactics and strategy and running EMS calls and stuff like that. I said, that's not the hard part. The hard part is supervising people. And he said, I totally get it. And you're absolutely right. And so that becomes your next journey. Shifting from becoming the best firefighter you can be to becoming the best supervisor you can be, and understanding that your role has changed. I was a captain for two or three years, and then my next step in the fire service was I had an opportunity to go to a different fire department as a battalion chief. So, another promotion. And did you like have a wife and kids at this point? I did. I got married in 2002 reason why I questioned it is because I'm no longer married to her. So I don't, <laughs> I don't remember the years, but we had a son right away. He's fantastic and he's 14 now. So that's how long ago. And his mom and I were only married for a couple years. And in part, because I was so dedicated to the fire service and pursuing that next career with that next fire department, I became so entrenched in trying to be so good at that job and the stresses that I was going under and the lack of experience that I had. We talk about a captain is the first line supervisor on all these fire trucks that are cruising around. Battalion chief is their boss. And so when I went to that next department, I had nine companies that were under my command. All nine of those captains that I supervised were all older than me and they all had more experience than I did. And I was their boss. You want to talk about adversity and having to learn and the fact that I didn't grow up in that department. Those guys all grew up together. They scrubbed toys together. They cooked together. They promoted together. I was the outsider. I came in from another place. So it was very difficult to walk into that environment and be a chief officer. The downside to that is it cost me my marriage. Not directly proportional, but it certainly had an effect on what was taking place at home, without a doubt. And I think that's some of the struggles that as entrepreneurs or people that are completely dedicated to the profession is the ability to separate work from home and to give enough quality time at home when you think that the quality time at work is perhaps more impactful when it's probably not.
0: I can take it unless it was like the guy who was emailing me before we got on the call,
1: who <laughs> <laughs> was, just, was just making fun of me.
0: I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> how, how miserable that you're just writing. I mean, how much time do you
1: have to have? I don't have time for this shit. Like, it's amazing.
0: Even when I started off on Reddit, people were making fun of me. They're like, you're going to suck. Like, you're like, we have enough entrepreneur podcasts. I'm like, okay. Oh, well, here. He said, awesome, great show. I get the struggle with making money with the podcast, but the begging for donations is kind of lame. There's got to be another way to grow your sponsorship or other revenue streams that's more productive. And I said, hey, Dave, your email's kind of lame. You criticize the way I do things, but give no actionable steps on what Dave Murray would do. It got better advice than I'm happy to listen to it. So that's what I said. No, it's, it's, it's a good reply. I mean, yeah. The way we work together seemingly changed overnight. And if there's one thing we've learned it's having access to the right resources is essential for adapting your businesses. 2020 has been the year of uncertainty. So how can your business plan for the unexpected? There's so much happening right now, finding the right talent can be time-consuming, frustrating, and expensive. Fiverr's online marketplace connects businesses with freelancers, offering hundreds of digital services, including graphic design, copywriting, web programming, film editing, and more. What I like about Fiverr is just how quick the turnaround is on any project. When I pay for a project, it's typically done in less than 24 hours. You know whether you're launching your first business, scaling your current business, or need of extra support to complete that project, Fiverr's global network of on-demand freelance talent is here to help. Find what you're looking for instantly. It's really easy. I mean you customize your search by service, deadline, price, seller reviews, and more. And there's no more guessing games. You know exactly what you're paying for up front, no negotiation needed. And there's 24-7 customer service. You know what? There's also a network of quality talent you can count on. Freelancers have worked with some of the most influential brands in the world. Find freelancers that are ready when you are. Fiverr's platform is flexible enough to accommodate and manage the ebb and flow of business. Check out Fiverr, S-F-I-V-E-R-R com and receive 10% off your first order by using code millionaire. Again, find all the digital services you need in one place at fiv. E-R-R dot com. Code millionaire. Again, that's Fiverr and use code millionaire. And thanks for pointing that out. Hopefully if someone's in the middle of it and realizing maybe they're working too much or whatever. It's just whatever you prioritize. It's your choice. If it's not as
1: important to you, maybe you don't even realize at the time. Yes. And I never thought we'd be taking this discussion track of talking about my divorce. But it's okay. I think it's important that there is a personal side to all these decisions that we make. And divorces are never good. I had a lot of folks coming to me, especially the firefighters. Unfortunately, in public safety, there's a lot of people that go through divorce. It sucks. So however much money you've got in the bank, whether it's thirty bucks, three hundred bucks, three thousand bucks, or three hundred thousand dollars, or three million dollars, whatever how much money it goes, spend your money and your time on fixing your marriage. Because that money's gonna be gone anyways. If you get a divorce, your money's gone anyway.
0: That's excellent point. Never even thought about that. Thank you again for the insight there as you moved up there to Scottsdale, being a battalion chief for four to five years when you came up with the light bulb moment of Trinity Air Medical?
1: Yes. I was sitting in my office and I was making good money. And I know you like to talk hard facts on your show. So back then, the year was probably 2008, 2009. I was making about $125,000 a year. I was making good money. I was living comfortable. But at the same time, I remember sitting back in my office. I'm in my late 30s. I've got a lot of responsibility. Unfortunately, by that time, I had been going through a divorce. But I sat back and professionally, I go, is this it? Is this it? I don't feel complete. I don't want to be the fire chief because I see what he has to do. And I don't want that job. So I don't want to be a fire chief. I really don't want to get off shift work where I'm out on the streets and performing 24-hour shifts. I really didn't have a desire to leave that yet. I'm still really young. I don't want to leave that line of work yet. That was part of the passion of getting into the fire service is making a difference out on the street. So is this it? And I felt like, no, even then, in that moment, I felt incomplete. I felt like there was something else I needed to be doing. And even in those moments, I thought, I would love to start my own business someday. I wonder what that would be like. Even prior to 2011, when I was working also as a flight paramedic, Those ideas about starting my own business were starting, you know, they were incubator stages of just an idea of things that I could do. And ironically, here's where I'm just going to be brutally honest, as I told you, Austin, when we got started, is that I went through a really tough time that ended my fire service career. I had some personnel situations that came up with people that I worked with that the department didn't think that I handled it to the best of my abilities. I disagreed with them at the time, but obviously they reigned supreme. HR is king, and they felt that the actions that I took were not appropriate. In part, I agreed with some of the things that they were saying, and in part, I disagree with some of the things they were saying. Doesn't matter. I was asked to leave. You know, I was in my late 30s. I felt like I'd achieved a lot. I'd worked hard. I dedicated so much to my life to be in the fire service, and here, I was being asked by this department to please go. And the year was 2009. We were in a major recession. Unemployment was at an all-time high. And I was applying for job after job after job, month after month after month, and not even getting interviews in most cases. And I'm watching my bank account deplete. Austin, have you ever heard the company called Firehouse Motorsports? No, I have not. Good answer, because nobody else has either. (laughs) That was my first company idea, actually, was I loved motorcycles. I still do, and I struggled with the fact that there was no companies in my area that were able to fulfill my needs, so I want to start my own company, and I was going to call it Firehouse Motorsports. Again, I'm a firefighter. People are going to love that name, and I'll establish a book of business, and I'll go with it. What I ended up finding out was that it takes longer to get a business up and running than you think takes more capital than you think. And it takes a lot more energy and process and knowledge and understanding than one might think, especially coming from the public sector into private. It was a huge transition and it was a learning curve. That organization, that company never really got off the ground. So I finally took a job as a paramedic working for a flight ambulance company. And the reason why I took it was that I felt it was the only thing that I'm really qualified to do because I've been a paramedic for so long. Well, before we move forward on that, do you mind if I ask a question? Of course. So what was the disagreement that you
0: had between the fire department and yourself when they asked you to move on?
1: Harassment. They felt that the way I handled a particular employee as traditional valued as the experience I felt might've been as far as how I treated the young firefighter and those in the military and fire service know what I'm referring to. In the eyes of HR, that's referred to as hazing or harassment, and it's not appropriate. And it was reported. And then there was a separate situation that happened simultaneously in regards to how I handled discipline for a couple of firefighters that I oversaw. The department didn't agree with how I handled the disciplinary process. I wanted to keep it kind of more internal and in-house and at my level. And they did not like that. They felt that I should have reported up and it should have been handled by authorities higher than me throughout the entire process. So it was a one-two punch. It was harassment and disciplinary process in the eyes of HR and a fire chief. Who's a friend of mine still, those are things that you can't mess around with. Those are critically important to the success of an organization. Those were learning moments for me, but unfortunately, at that time, left me empty. It forced me to leave the career and the profession that I had honored so much for such a long period of time. But those moments, as much as it was filled with stress and anxiety and depression, it was for real, for real. But what you do in that moment is that thing that I now refer to as the bounce. I cannot tell you the level of depression that I had. I don't take medications, but I did that month. I went and saw my primary care physician. I was sick, I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. This might sound familiar to some people who are listening in on this. I could not eat, my stomach hurt all the time. I could not sleep very well. Every morning I'd wake up with anxiety and depression. And I had some money in the bank when this was when this all got started, so that wasn't so much the issue, but who I was and what I was going to do next and how I was going to manage all that was problematic. And my name was all over the headlines throughout the fire service community. Telephone, teletype, telefirefighter firefighter word travels fast. And my name and what happened to me was traveling fast throughout the state of Arizona the fire service community, and it was very hard. I saw my primary care physician, told him all those things, and he had known me for, gosh, probably 15 years. And he said, I'm going to recommend that you take this antidepressant. And it's going to take probably four to seven days for it to really kind of kick in. But well, let's touch base in about two weeks and let's see how you're doing. Austin and I'd run on thousands of patients where antidepressants were part of their medical history. And that's just society and community. And that's what those people need. And I never thought that I would be one of those individuals at late 30s that suddenly found myself on those kind of medications. And I walked out of his office with the sample, got into my truck, started crying. And took a pill immediately because I knew I needed the help. And I also started calling a counselor and saw two or three counselors before I finally found one that I could talk to. I knew enough as a healthcare professional for years to know that there's health out there, but you got to be willing and humble and vulnerable enough to go ask for it. And I am terrible at being vulnerable, but I knew that as a dad, I had to do something to help because everything I was trying on my own wasn't working. The good news is this, is that I started to come up with the idea of Firehouse Motorsports. I got invigorated by that. I started to think I can start my own business. I can take all these lessons that I've learned in leadership and supervision and starting and finance, and I can do these things. And I've got friends who run their own businesses, and I can rely on these guys. I started to get motivated. I had a new goal. And four or five days after that doctor's appointment, I stopped taking the antidepressant, and I was able to get up in the morning. And instead of crawling to the bathroom and pulling myself up to the mirror and looking at myself and saying, today is going to be better than yesterday, a few days after that, I could get up out of bed. I could walk in there. I could look in the mirror and say, today's going to be better than yesterday. And here's what I'm going to do today. And each day got better and better and better and better. And I call that process the bounce. And you have to believe in yourself in order for that to work. And so the cool part is that two weeks later, I went back to my primary care physician And I handed him a bag and he said, what's this? I said, those are the samples that you gave me. I took it for about four or five days. I'm okay. And he goes, all right, good. I'm proud of you. But if anything changes, come see me and let's talk again. 100% I agree with you. I think I'm okay. And then counseling sessions, I went through, I'd say probably half a dozen counseling sessions with one particular person I ended up enjoying talking to before I said, you know what? I'm okay. I'm all right. I appreciate your help. This has been awesome. And if I find myself getting back into that trap again or feeling anxious, stressed, depressed, certainly, I promise I will reach back out. That happens. That process is not unique to me or you, Austin. That happens to everyone. Everyone gets kicked. Everyone gets knocked down. Everyone has that moment. And my philosophy on it today is this. Okay, today's your day. You got kicked. You got kicked hard. Today's your fucking day. Cry it out. Feel sorry for yourself today. It's okay today. But tomorrow, tomorrow morning, get up, crawl to the bathroom, pick yourself up, look yourself in the mirror, and promise yourself that today is going to be better than yesterday. Put a small plan together and see it through. And if you do that every day through this really toughest time in your life, you'll get through. Mind you, I was going through a divorce. I was going through child custody issues. I was going through how much am I paying in child support. I just got laid off of my career. I'm trying to find a job during the great recession. I've got a lot of things stacked against me right now. But the one thing that moved the needle for me during that period of time was the belief in myself and that bounce.
0: Well, I appreciate you sharing that. I'm glad I asked the question. Part of the reason I did is because you sent me an email to make sure that you want to put it all out there. So I literally have that email up to make (laughs) sure. I'm like, I'm not letting him off the hook. He asked, even when I asked about the divorce earlier, I'm like, well, if he says no, I was going to read you your email that you want to be honest. So I oh, appreciate man. you giving that feedback. I guess you call it the balance. Like what always works for me too is always about perspective. I have not been to Africa, but I've seen pictures before of kids who are malnourished or whatnot, right? Who don't have electricity, who don't have water. It's all right to be sad, right? Especially with your situation, the only family you had, and you talked about how tight-knit it was, was the firehouse guys, right? then they're all gossiping or telling what happened. And like, literally, that's your whole family talking about you and you're not allowed to even go there, right? Very well. Yeah, and perspective would feel, it take longer, honestly, to get over that. But eventually, when you're able to get yourself out of it, you've just got to think of stories like this. Anyone listening out, you had to go through a pretty rough situation. And for me, this is a story I'll remember. Or again, when I was pointing out things of perspective, it's like there's people who don't have water, food, electricity, wherever. And even if you have no money in your bank account, or even if you're in the middle of getting divorced or whatever, you're like, hey, at least I got a roof. I got electricity. I got water, right? I definitely appreciate you being vulnerable and
1: sharing that. Like you said, you wanted to be vulnerable in your email to me. So thank you. Thank you for the opportunity and the platform, Austin. Honestly, I believe in that process to my core. It helped save my own life during that period of time. And I believe that I'm not the only one who will go through that trial or the struggles in life. And it's important that we are vulnerable as much as I suck at it. It may not sound like it, but I've learned to at least share that part of my story because I think it can be helpful to those that reflect.
0: Absolutely. And so when you came out of it, I guess finally you made the switch. You quickly kind of said you did Firehouse Motorsports, but did you just try that for like a year? And then you're like, hey, I can't do that. And then I need to go get myself a real job when you were kind of an air paramedic, I guess.
1: Yes, exactly. Part of that plan for myself was to start my own business. And of course, that was my plan. I wanted to go create a website and establish the name. And I would spend time talking with my friends who own their own businesses. What I found is that even during that period of time of the Great Recession, There was still a lot of resources out there, both in people, friends who are willing to share their stories, which are awesome. I loved them. I loved everyone's garage startup stories. They were so invigorating. And also you can, the IRS themselves, irs.gov was a great resource as far as like, okay, I need to start a company. What's the difference between an LLC and a C-Corp or an S-Corp or a group LLC? I didn't know those things. So I could go ask my friends or I could also go do the research and I was that guy who would go to the IRS website and just read about it. And they had videos on it, so I could educate myself on those processes too. I became a student of the game. Like I said, I would start watching Shark Tank, which ironically started up right about that same period of time. And I found myself working both sides of the table. I'd find myself trying to say thanks to the entrepreneur and say thanks to the sharks while I'm watching an episode, but it was being a student of business. That was extremely important. And that also takes a lot of humility to be able to go ask questions of people and admit that you don't know the answers ahead of time and really try to take those strong things, put them in your backpack, put them in your toolbox and be able to pull them out later. And sure enough, as like I mentioned to you, after trying to start that firehouse motorsports business, which was just a practice in how to start a company in 2011, I got the idea for Trinity Air Medical. And in 2013, we went live. And it was because of those previous practices, the previous failure, if you want to call it that, that allowed me to kind of springboard forward a little bit faster than if I was starting fresh in 2011.
0: That's why I say anyone who's listening now, even if you don't have a business yet, before I started my first business, I was listening to business podcasts. So you can get in that mindset of what to know or what to ask hey, I'm a entrepreneur. I know some people say that. Well, you only are if you never actually fucking do something. If your plan is like, hey, maybe it'd be a couple of years, whatever, don't think you can't do it. I mean, if I did it and you did it, I'm not a genius. I'll talk for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about yourself, but it's like, that's the part of the idea is all the guests I have on aren't geniuses. You can do it. But the one thing that obvious from your story thus far is your work ethic. And that's one thing that again, gets swept under the rug. You can tell that when you go in just through your story that you work hard. So if you think you're just going to half-ass it, that's when you're really going to fail, to be honest.
1: It's about having the work ethic and drive to want to do it. Absolutely. Everything you said is spot on, including the part that I am not a genius. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, maybe I should have <laughs> called him not a genius. <laughs> that's all. I am not. Remember, I love the fire service. I love those guys. So those guys listening, you know, turn your headset off for a few minutes. But my job description for darn near 20 years, pull hose to fire. Okay, so that's not genius work. Now, obviously, I'm way dumbing down the responsibilities of fire service. But as I moved as a chief officer and I had a budget, my budget as a chief officer in the fire department was to, if I had a million-dollar budget, my goal for that fiscal year was to spend every penny of that million dollars without going over and without going under. Otherwise, I had to justify either direction. So even in the public sector, I was given a budget to run a division, and I had to spend every penny. Or else. I mean, that was the environment I came from. So to go from the private sector, it's not so much of a stretch that, hey, I want to keep some money. I don't want to spend every last time. I think we all understand that. But PL to, I'm 30 plus years old. I didn't know what a P&L stood for. a oh, profit and loss. Okay, well, that kind of makes sense. Well, what goes into a profit and loss statement? All right, well, that takes a little bit of research and I can go find out. These are not difficult things to learn, but that's where I started. I was in my mid 30s and I didn't know what a P&L was. I learned how to balance a budget by spending every last penny that I had within that budget that was the world that I came from. So to go from that to private sector and starting your own business, folks, I had to start over. I had to start fresh. And the only thing that I could take with me to a certain extent was those things that I always thought were really hard. Supervision, leadership, the things that I really watched the people around me do really well or not do really well. I tried to remember those things. And again, you fast forward to, you said it, you can't half-ass I appreciate your nice comments about my work ethic and I do believe that I am driven, but you're also correct that you can't half-ass, you can't have paralysis by analysis. We all know those people that they probably have a pretty great idea and they're very smart people, but they talk themselves out of it because they haven't solved every problem yet. Well, here's the deal. Are you ready? As ready as I'm going to be. Time just runs out. You have to move forward. If you continue to say, yeah, but then you never take action. And for me, that moment was being asked to leave the fire service. You got to move forward. You got to make that choice. If starting your own business is what you want to do, here it is. Here's that moment. Then I took a job as a critical flight paramedic, and I had to make the choice to leave that job. And you have to. You got to leap. And again, God came into my life at that moment, and I had to go. I had to go.
0: At the moment... I'm curious, like how much money did you actually have saved up to make this jump? I mean, but did you feel everything was kind of reset in your life? Like you were
1: comfortable? Hell no. No money. I was living paycheck to paycheck. I had no money left in the bank. I had gone almost a year of being unemployed during the recession and I had nothing left. So I took a job back, like I mentioned, as a paramedic, not because I wanted to, but because I felt it was different enough. And the only thing I was qualified to do and I did not have enough opportunity to save up money. I was trying to do other jobs and it became one of those things where it was Groundhog Day. Every day I'm going to work and I'm working hard, but I'm working for somebody else and I'm not making great money and not enough money to put anything away. And what I call it, the definition of-
0: Insanity, doing the same thing over and over.
1: Thank you. You're welcome. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm old now and I forget things. <laughs> <laughs> and expecting a different result in case. That's the end of that. Yes. Yeah, I'm here to help. You gotta leap. You have to make that decision. And I had started the concepts of Trinity. I had done a lot of work in building it up and establishing the name and the LLC and the S Corp and all that kind of stuff. EIN numbers, register the name, all of those things, insurance, website, before you finally just got to say, I got to go. And I can't do this job and move over to that. You have to have faith in yourself. Hopefully you're making the right decision. Hopefully you've got a good idea. Hopefully you've been a good listener to your friends and family and business acquaintances that are leading you down this path yes, you've got a good idea and here's how to get there, or I'd reconsider. It's important that you are a good listener. It's one thing to have great work ethic or drive and believe in your own idea, but if everyone around you is telling you, I'm not sure that's a great idea, you may wanna listen to them.
0: I wanna tell you about this amazing online community I'm a part of. It's the ultimate knowledge hub from the hustle and it's called Trends. With Trends, you'll find interesting business articles on topics like AirPods, meditation apps, and even soy milk. See, Trends will also give you the network and information you need to succeed. Trends gives me access to a community of industry leaders in virtually every field where I learn how to capitalize on emerging opportunities. Trends is a place where I workshop ideas and network with other entrepreneurs and investors. One thing I love to do is attend their weekly live lectures. They have experts who teach growth strategies, SEO, or my favorite, how to send the perfect cold email. Trends has exclusive research with intriguing topics to help inspire, like the 30 companies defining the future of media and pop culture, or data on thousands of successful Kickstarter projects. One article I found interesting was a recent sleep supplement feature. The post pointed out that as meditation becomes mainstream, people may be surprised to find out that searches for sleep apps double their meditation counterparts. I'm enjoying the Trends community so much, I want to share it with you. Right now, you can get your first 2 weeks for just $1. Go to trends.co/millionaire to start your $1 2-week trial. That's trends co e n d s.co/millionaire for your $1 2-week trial. trends.co/millionaire Colorful days of fall are now upon us, and as each season changes, your small business needs to do the same. Despite the current uncertainty, having the right people on your team is like feeling the warmth of being wrapped up in a blanket. So when your business is ready to make that next hire, LinkedIn Jobs can help by matching your role with qualified candidates so that you can find the right person quickly. Speaking of finding the right person quickly, one of the features that I like most about LinkedIn Jobs is being able to find a candidate in your geographic area. LinkedIn is an active community of professionals with more than 690 million members worldwide. Getting started is easier than ever with new features to help you find the qualified candidates quickly. Manage job posts and contact candidates from a single view on the familiar linkedin.com as functions are just streamlined onto one simple screen. Identify strong candidates with their efficient rating system to help quickly get your job in front of more qualified candidates. And now you can do this all from your mobile device, no matter where the day takes you. That's how LinkedIn Jobs can help you hire the right person faster. When your business is ready to make that next hire, find the right person with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and get the first $50 off by going to this link, linkedin.com slash millionaire. Again, that's linkedin.com slash millionaire to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that, too, because, I mean, you could be a hard worker and be a garbage man the rest of your life. Right. Or a guard man. But if you're not going to go ahead and like listen to anybody, it's because, you know, your ego's in the way you think you're right all the time and you're not willing to listen to other opportunities. Like, again, stepping stones that we've kind of learned through your story.
1: Yep. The whole thing, if you got two years in one mouth, you need to listen twice as much as you speak. And I believe in that, and especially when you're going through these initial phases of building up a business, you need to be able to listen to people around you. And what I found out is that people that I went to high school with, they went to college with, that started their own businesses that I kind of felt like, man, are they really all that street smart? And they've got a multi-million dollar business right now. And are they really all that intelligent? But can I do this too? But I would go and sit down and talk with those folks. And what I found out was, oh yeah, they're fucking smart. This is great. <laughs> They actually know what they're doing. They didn't build a multi-million dollar business because they walked into it, they did it the right way. And they've actually got some great ideas about how to help me and their willingness to help me. And so getting back to starting Trinity and the resources that I had, none. I had accumulated a lot of advice and a lot of great people around me which is priceless. But as far as financial resources, none. I had a computer that was a couple of years old. So everybody that owns a PC knows that when you hit about that 24 month mark, things start to not work very well (laughs) anymore. And I had an old PC, but it was working for now and I could do certain things and suddenly that PC wouldn't come on anymore. It wouldn't work. Shorted out, it wasn't fast at all, the screen would stop working. I didn't even have a computer that could work anymore and I'm trying to get this business off the ground. I've got people asking me for business plans and I've got two problems. One, I don't know what goes into a business plan. So I got to go research that. And two, how do I go type up a business plan? So my son and I would go to the public library. I would grab a computer. I'd research business plan. I'd write down all kinds of notes while he was reading books. I'd go home. I'd scratch out a business plan. We'd go back to the library the next day. I'd type up my business plan on the computer's library, print it up right there at the library, save it on a disk, and be ready to deliver it to the people that were asking me for it. I didn't even have a computer, Austin. So no excuses not in my world. Yeah. People always want to use
0: one, right? So it's funny because I was talking to my virtual assistant team last night and we were talking about this. And I'm just like, anyone who's unemployed or whatnot, you can go to Upwork.com, go become a freelancer and make money. So it's like, I don't feel like really bad for anyone who's asking for money or begging for money. Obviously, we all have different situations, but yeah. you did exactly what I was talking about. You can literally go to your free public library. If you live in the US where you got free internet and take care of these things. So it's like, If someone's got an excuse of they've got a slow computer, well, at least they have a slow computer. You
1: didn't even have one. You had to go to the library to take care of it. Yeah, and during that period of time, you know who knew that I didn't have a computer, I couldn't afford to buy a new one? No one. No one knew. I was the only one. Nowadays, it's funny to bring it up, and it's fun. It's enjoyable to bring it up and say, hey, back in 2011 through 13, guys, I didn't even have a computer. Okay, It's fun to bring it up now, but during that period of time, you can't let them see you sweat. You got to be bigger than what you actually are. And that was an important business lesson that I learned from one of my great friends as well was always appear to be bigger than you are, even when you're a solopreneur. And my last comment about starting up is that there's a lot of people who you've seen the tattoos, Austin self-made there's people who believe they're self-made entrepreneurs. I would actually disagree. I think it takes a village. I think if you've got someone out there now, There are some very rare cases where someone's sitting in their basement and at a computer and they build a business by themselves in front of the computer and no one else is involved. There are those outliers. However, most people, you need to go listen to other people speak. You need to listen to podcasts like this. If your podcast was around back in 2011, I would have been an avid listener all the way to present day. I listened to your podcast today. I'm so excited that I found it a few months ago. And I found it, of course, because you invited one of my friends to be on it and then luckily enough to invite me. I listen to it all the time because it's great business advice. I'm a student of the game. I'm a student of business. I wanna be better. I have not accomplished the mountaintop. I got a long way to go and listening to other people talk is amazing. So I believe it takes a village. I do not believe there's such a thing as a self-made entrepreneur, self-made solopreneur. I think that that's where it starts but at some point in time, you have to let others in and it's another point in time, you're going to need others to be a part of the team, to get the vision where you want it to go because the vision's going to grow. The vision's going to change and evolve. And that's a good thing. And that's what happened to our organization in 2015.
0: Yeah, I guess that takes us back to almost the beginning of the interview when you're talking about telling them you made 125 in revenue. So yeah, why don't we pick up there? Because I think we understand how everything worked up to this point. We're in 2015
1: now. Yes, yeah, so here's where you get to the frying pan is in February of 2015, I have that discussion with my board of we either have a business or we have a hobby. And we got to look for everything under a rock. A month later, one of my board members called me and he said, hey, he's part of a foundation with the hospital system. And he says that this one of the CFOs for the hospital system said, hey, we're struggling with the transportation company that does all of our logistics for our transplant teams is that something you guys can do? And they knew about Trinity as an organization before because we had helped them with their patient transports. We'd moved patients in and out of their facility in the past. They knew we were a good organization. We had a strong character. We'd done solid work for them, which is always important, right? Always put your best foot forward. Always do a great job. And so they approached us with, is this something you could do? My joke is we didn't even know how to spell transplant, but we looked into it and we did. So I went deep as I could into researching this and what was taking place in the landscape of that industry and organ movement, a transplant team movement, got a hold of the individual here in the state of Arizona that was running or overseeing that whole program. Found out who that person was that same day, right? Take immediate action. Got a hold of that person that same day, left them a voicemail, introduced myself over voicemail. I'd like to discuss what's taking place. He calls me back and says, we have a contract in place that should expire about the middle of next year. We'll be seeking a RFP process later in this calendar year. So this was April. So later this calendar year, be on the lookout for an RFP process. Great. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. That's powerful information. I look forward to competing in the RFP process. In the meantime, if we can be of service, please let me know. I very much appreciate your time. Click the next day.
0: You Google what RFP
1: is, right?
0: Request for proposal. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like that's what you did the next day. You're always good at figuring it out the next day. You're like, I'll figure it out.
1: That one I did know because okay, <laughs> the fire service does have RFP. So <laughs> that one I did know. And the next day that guy called me back up and says, can we talk? Because there were things that were taking place legally within that scope of practice that period of time that were forcing his hand to make decisions faster than what he had told me the day before. So good timing, right place, right time. Not all that different from growing up in the fire service. Hey, five years on the job, then you can test for captain. They only do the test every two years. I hit that five-year mark in June. In July, they opened up the testing process, right? Like, bam, you were available to take a test, and bam, I took it. Right, wrong, or indifferent, it wasn't paralysis by analysis. I took advantage of the opportunity, and this is the same thing. The guy called me back the next day and said, here's where we're at. I dove deep in whatever information he was willing to provide. I sat down on my board, we created a plan. We tried to put financials together based off of numbers we didn't even know. We talked to the previous provider. I mean, I put my neck out there so much to talk to the people who owned the contract at that period of time and said, can we talk? And it was amazing the amount of information they were willing to share. But all of that gathering information allowed us to put our best foot forward, put a presentation together. And the story now, the truth now that I didn't know then is that they knew we were a small organization. I don't think they knew how small we truly were. We were running the organization from my kitchen table. I didn't have an office. I had a virtual office that I paid basically $100 a month for, for a mailing address and secretaries that would answer the phone, Trinity or medical, and forward the phone over to me. Everybody knows that model. It works really, really well. And it creates this air of mystique about how big or small you truly are. That was us.
0: Yeah, especially because you're called Air. Anytime I hear Air Medical, I'm like, honestly, I would have thought that your company would be like a thousand person company.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And we're all cruising around our Gulf Streams (laughs) and, you know, pulling up in our Mercedes at the FBO fixed based operator. (laughs) No, the company was my kitchen table and me. I was a company of one. Hey, at least you weren't at the library anymore, right? No, true. (laughs) Again, being truthful. A friend of mine who believed in me, who also owned his own business, gave me a $10,000 loan to help me get started so I could buy polos, I could buy a computer, and I could finalize the website. He gave me a $10,000 loan because I had no money, and I think he knew it. And we agreed to some basic payback terms, but we were friends. And in that whole thing of should you do business with friends or family, and we really kind of crossed that line. But he believed in me. And it's one thing to start your own business when it's your own capital or your own time and energy that's on the line. But when you have a friend or a private equity investor that gives you money, the weight on the shoulders change. It increases. You carry more weight because now you have more people responsible for you. And I'll also say this. There's a lot of people that believe that you shouldn't take money from friends and family You should take it from people who are just trying to get involved in the business side. I agree with what they're saying. However, I will say this to the side about taking a loan or capital or investment or equity from friends or family. The equity side, I'd be careful of. But particularly a loan. If it's your best friend that's giving you a $10,000 loan in the left hand and in the right hand is a private equity investor that you met three months ago that you were talking business with for the last three months and they give you that same amount of money. Which person are you more obligated to return their investment. I would argue that it's the friend because you grew up with this person. You love this person. They're your friend and you don't want to see them lose their money. And that's a bigger driver for me to make sure that I did not fail. Cause not only myself down, I don't want to let my best friend down who invested $10,000 in me. And I don't want to wear that burden of, I let him down. I disappointed him. I've disappointed the relationship. Versus a private equity person, you know, this is the risk that they take. This is what they do. So I kind of offer that little counterpart of it's okay to be involved with friends and family, be cautious with it. But I'd also say that you're more driven in that moment. And the weight is heavier if you take it from that side of the coin, because you don't want to let them down. And so when we put the contract in front of the state of Arizona, they knew we were small. They didn't know how small we were. We made it big. We rented out a conference room in a high-rise building, true story, to meet with them and continued to touch base. And here's where we won. It was going to be somebody else. But the reason why we got it was two things. Number one was we stayed in touch. I continued to give more feedback to the person who is making a decision on the contract every week. We've been given more thoughts, the data in our discussion. Here's our next thought process on the plan. We've been giving more thoughts on the financials and the fee schedule. Here's our thoughts around those discussion points. And every week we were trying to give intelligent feedback to what was taking place. That was most important. And number two, we were local. We were the one company that was local that was looking to do the job. Everybody else was from out of state. Primarily because of reason number one, they awarded us the contract on June 1st in 2015. And it was a 30-day notice. Congratulations. You got the deal. Super excited, right? Like, Wow. They're awarding us. This is that rock. This is that moment. We've been telling everybody to look under every rock. We know this is a seven figure deal for us. Like I'm thinking 1.5 type of deal in terms of your audience. I'm thinking this is a 1.5 million deal, but I came from a world we've been doing 125,000. So this is a gigantic step for us. Huge responsibility. The next statement out of his mouth was, congratulations, you got the contract, you're awarded and you need to start July 1st. You got 30 days. Okay. Gotcha. Thank you so much for this phone call. Appreciate it. Won't let you down. Looking forward to the opportunity. We'll talk to you here in a couple of days. Click. Oh my gosh, you got the contract. Oh my gosh. I have a ton of work to do and we don't have capital. We don't have money, but we have to go buy vehicles. We need to go buy cell phones. We need to go hire people. We have to put a small community together quickly with resources very fast. We have 30 days and I'm fortunate back then in 2015, as I am now to have that same board members with me today. I'm fortunate to have the right people with me in that time who believed in what was taking place. They believed it was the right step. They're willing to write a check and also invest their own time and thought process and leadership into helping us get off the ground. I approached two of my friends then that were also local firefighters who were helping me on the patient transport side that that model was still existing. So instead of being paramedic clinicians and transporting these patients all over the world, I need your help to help me start this new venture. And here's what I would love for you guys to help me to be can you handle this? And can you handle that? I'm thankful they both said yes. And off we went. And July 1st, by the skin of our chin, we were ready. And we did it. And what year? That was still 2015? That was 2015. The contract started July of 2015. And everything changed from there on out. Everything and so just from there on, I guess you did a good enough
0: job where you begin rewarded that same contract or is it other contracts? Like, how have you expanded? Because I want to kind of quickly, I guess, go over these last five years, if that's possible, because obviously this was a big changer for your company. But I'm wondering, has it been
1: slow, steady growth since or what's it been like? In the very beginning, it was slow, steady growth. So the industry itself of organ transplantation has really ballooned in the last five years. Wow. They did decent numbers up until 2015, but ironically, right as we were hitting the market in 2015, the industry really expanded. Organ allocation changes, organ procurement organizations like Life Legacies and donor networks and life sources of the world, their businesses exploded with just a lot of volume, a lot of great stories. Like, we're here to save lives. So, a lot more transplants are taking place. There's a lot more surgeons coming out who want to do transplant, a lot more hospitals that want to become transplant centers. They understand the revenue side of it. So, we really got in at a great time. So, not only did we get in the right time, but the industry itself was starting to expand. So, we really hit fire. And then, the way we provided services, uh, the business model that we created was different than everybody else. This is where we had to be unique. We had to shift in order to separate ourselves from the pack back in the very beginning of 2015 to get. That first contract, we had to be different, unique, special, and we couldn't be the same as everybody else. And that same business model has expanded us today. We are different, unique, and special today from the people within our building to our service model, and that has allowed us to be special, unique, outside the box, whatever you want to call it when you walk into the room to meet with a particular customer. They have the status quo of air charter providers around the world, or they can work with us. And here's our value proposition. And we've been able to recruit some key members onto our senior staff. The people who worked within the transplant industry are now working with us as employees of our organization, which has really expanded the growth exponentially. So it was slow growth for those first two or three years as we were really learning about our own selves, really getting our own footing, really getting our own strong foundation, proving the business concept, and then recruiting the right people to really expand our reach. And our reach is difficult. A lot of your guests talk about the value of SEO or talk about the value of AdWords and those technology opportunities. For transplant working with hospitals and healthcare organizations, they're not really watching social media. They're not looking for resources on social media or on Google or through AdWords. They really need to hear about it through the industry. So conferences become important to get your name out there. And then referrals become vitally important We're very fortunate to be able to partner with some very successful customers and a lot of other people around the industry will call those customers of ours and say, we're struggling with our transportation or our logistics provider. Who do you use that has allowed you to be so successful? And we're fortunate that our name gets dropped into that hat and that's where that referral comes from a lot of time is through our customers. So it's very important for entrepreneurs to realize the value of the relationship with the customers that you're building can really pay itself forward. So to talk financials, again, our organization went from $125,000 a year, basically two years in a row, to that next year of 2015, we did 1.3. And then it jumped to 3.25 the following year. And then it jumped to 5.5 the year after that. And it was that year that we were first eligible to apply for the Inc. 5000. And as a student of business and as an entrepreneur, wannabe entrepreneur that I always consider myself to be during that period of time, I'd always read the Inc. magazines and the articles in there they are motivating to me. And one day I come across this special edition, talks about the Inc. 5000. I'm like, wow, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it just be such a great bucket list thing to be able to check it off and say, I made the Inc. 5000. That would be so awesome. Like I have arrived. If I can just make it on that list, that would be so cool. And in 2016, I believe, was the first time we were eligible to apply based on the rules of engagement. And a couple months later, they're asking us to verify our financials through a CPA, which we did. And that was normal. Then they got back a hold of us and said that your ranking is significant, that we want to double check your financials. So we did that again. Then I got a phone call from a photographer who wanted to come out and do a story on Trinity for a potential feature. In Inc. And that was when I knew that I don't know what our ranking is, but this is pretty cool. And I kept all of that communication a secret from everybody within the organization. They want anybody to know that that was happening to us. I didn't know if we were going to actually make it. I still didn't know what our ranking was or if we're going to be featured. I just knew that by gosh, we're going to make this list. And then I got the letter, I got the issue and we were number 87. Number two in the state of Arizona behind Carvana, which has since gone IPO and Gigantic but we were 87 in the country. So not only did we make the 5,000 and the 500, but we made the top 100. And to be able to share that news with our team back in 2017, I believe it was gigantic. Just, it felt so good through all the adversity that we've talked about, through all of the challenges, through all of those statements of looking under every rock and trying to take advantage and walking through those doors and being vulnerable and asking questions For me, that was the first benchmark where somebody else outside our organization recognized us for our success. And I was able to share that with everybody who'd been on the journey with me. And it was that exact same time that I met up with my best friend, met him for lunch. I handed him an envelope and in that envelope was the full payment on the loan plus a really, really good interest rate. And we both cried and said, thank you. It worked, right? It worked and business has continued to have its struggles and adversity it always does we're still high risk everything we do today is high risk time is not on our side ever i'm in that business our team has chosen to go down this road is a difficult road to not only get in to get started in but to be good at it it's difficult and high expectations from not only our transplant centers and our customers and our surgeons but think about the patient and their family and the recipients of these organs high expectation. We cannot fail. That's a tough industry, but we're doing everything that we can to not just be good at it, but to be the best. And that is true to our core and our culture here in our organization. We are here to be the best at what we do.
0: Well, thank you for walking us along your journey. I guess, what was the last year's revenue? I was just curious. We all saw how much it jumped, especially after those first couple of years, you would never think that it got that high, but what was last year's revenue?
1: Last year was just over 14 million. This year, our goal at the beginning was to reach for 20. Because of COVID, that has really slowed things down. But at the same time, we, like many others, we did not lay anybody off. We just restructured. We took less money, especially senior staff members took less money to handle this period of time, go through this adversity. We find out who are your strong leaders? Who are the people who are going to step up during this period of time? And who are the people who are going to cower down? And I want to see the people step up. And I'm proud of our organization for doing so. And one of the things that we committed to doing, even during this period of time, is we're going to put our, throttle, our foot on the throttle for public relations, for our business development. We're not going to lower the hours or the salary of the people in business development, which is two people, essentially, but our whole organization is behind them. We're actually going to put the people who maybe have an excess amount of hours who work in finance, Back in March, they were a bookkeeper or a controller in finance, but now volumes are way down, so they've got more time. We're going to put that time into business development so that we can shift our model a little bit, put more emphasis on here, and during this pandemic and questionable times of uncertainty, we're going to make sure that our customers can rest steadfast that they've got us as a valued partner and... We are meeting with new customers on a weekly basis. It's actually very exciting. I don't think we'll get to the goal that we had for 2020, which was $20 million. I don't think we'll get there, but I think that we will shoot and land really close. And this year, we'll mark four years in a row with Inc. Magazine, again, as our business continues to grow and evolve and change. You got to roll with the punches. It's a journey, but I'm super proud of our team. We're handling this period of time the best way we know how. We've been staying better connected than ever as an organization during this period of time. It's been extremely difficult, but hopefully we come out at the other end a stronger organization.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, Seth, for coming on and sharing your story. Do you have any last words of wisdom for anyone who's listening? Man, Austin, I've thought about that. You, know. you had so much during the whole thing. I didn't know if there's one last thing that you had on your notepad that you made sure you wanted to reach out and save. If you
1: don't have any, we have an hour worth of it. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I actually didn't have a notepad full of notes. I'd want to just kind of get a feel and flow of this interview. And I appreciate the platform. I really do. And I hope to continue to stay engaged with your community. I'm in love with what you do. And I would just share this with your listeners. And other CEOs and business owners can certainly share the emotion is that this it's a roller coaster. This journey that you're on to build a business as an entrepreneur is full of ups and downs and twists and turns. And sometimes you're going right over the edge and about to accelerate down the hill, the funnest part. And the next thing you know, you're upside down and you're wondering, how in the world did I get here? It's a roller coaster. It is. And, you know, just be prepared. Buckle up. It's going to be a ride. What I can share is that for me, the ride is 100% been worth every bit of that sweat.
0: If someone would say thank you for doing the interview, I imagine you're going to get a lot of emails or at least thank you letters. What's the best way for them to reach you and say thank you?
1: A couple of different ways. You can reach me at email just through my company email address. It is sbacon, S-B-A-C-O-N at com. You can also find me on LinkedIn and Facebook as well. After this episode comes out, We'll make sure
0: that we have a post in there for you. So if anyone has any other questions, they can hopefully comment on there, and you
1: hopefully can help them out there if that's all right. Absolutely. I'm going to continue to be a fan of yours, Austin, in this community, and I can't wait to see what you do next. I appreciate it. So now I've got one fan. So (laughs) thanks again, Seth, for coming on. (laughs) My pleasure, Austin. Thank you. Flash forward to 2009. And I'm back in the golf business as a club pro, and I get a message on my MySpace page from a 14-year-old kid in Mexico claiming that I was his father. You know, he says I impregnated his mom in the champagne room at a club in Cozumel on New Year's Eve in 1998, and I immediately called bullshit because I remember that night vividly. And there were at least five other guys with me uh, that were also prime candidates. So I have to go down there as part of a paternity hearing, and the night before I have to testify.
0: So if you want to hear more interesting stories just like this preview, well, become a Patreon member today. You know you're missing out. Just check the link in your episode description below to join the club, or go to millionaire-interviews.com forward slash Patreon. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you in the membership forum.